Our Bible reading today is from Daniel chapter 12, on page 731 of the Pew Bibles. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, anyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase the knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time. When the power of the holy people has finally been broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We're actually going to cover three chapters today, chapter 10 to 12, uh, as we finish up our series on Daniel. Uh, if you missed any part of Daniel, let me encourage you to listen to them on uh, online. Uh, they should be on our website. Uh, and if you have missed uh, any of the sermons in the last couple of weeks, you might struggle a little with today's sermon because it follows on from that. But uh, press on, persevere, because... It's a really important passage. It's the climax of the visions and the book, uh, and it will be a great encouragement. So why don't I pray for us as we uh, dig into God's word. Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God and that you reveal yourself and your purposes to us so that we do not live in darkness, but we can live in the light, so that we might not be ignorant of what happens in the spiritual realm and the future that lays before us but that we can have sure hope and confidence in the resurrection that is to come. For I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, according to the Geneva Academy, there are more than 110 armed conflicts in the world today. 80 in the Middle East and Africa, 21 in Asia, 6 in Latin America, and 7 in Europe. Some of them have started recently, while others have lasted for over 50 years. Some of these conflicts make the headlines while others don't. But they all have one thing in common. They're all classified as armed conflict under international humanitarian law. 
But as you and I know, conflict and wars aren't won and lost because one country is bigger than another. Or one army has got bigger guns than another. Russia's current war against Ukraine is a case in point. Wars and wars are won and fought on multiple levels, from the political to the military, from the economic to the ideological, from the intelligence to the cultural. Let me give you an obvious example with the Cold War. The Cold War was a period of geopolitical tension in the second half of the 20th century between the Soviet Union and the United States. Uh, there was the deadly arms race as both nations built and tested and even threatened the use of atomic bombs. There was the space race as both nations competed in, to be the first to enter the next frontier from launching man into space to becoming the first nation to send man onto the moon. And who could forget the political challenges and as both nations made every effort to gain influence over other countries through diplomacy and bribery, propaganda and alliances. While on the ground, the CIA and KGB conducted covert operations to gather information to gain the upper hand. You see, wars are fought and won on multiple levels. Some might make it to the tabloids, but most of it doesn't. Some of it's obvious, like soldiers firing a machine gun or a battleship firing missiles. But as so much of it is less obvious, and often happens behind closed doors, like when the President of the United States meets with their counterpart in the Oval Office, or secret operatives spy on their enemies. And in a similar way, that's what we see in today's passage. We're told that Daniel was given a revelation about a great war. And this war isn't just fought in the physical realm in this world, but also in the spiritual realm, in the heavenly realm, in the heavens. This isn't the way we often think about wars, let alone how wars are fought and won. After all, we're physical beings living in a physical world of protons and electrons, of atoms and matter, of things we can see and touch. We can't see things spiritual and what happens in the spiritual realm. But like the President of the United States inviting us into the Oval Office so that we can see and hear and understand how America win their wars, or lose wars for that matter, in today's passage, God invites Daniel into his over office, as it were, so that Daniel can see and hear and understand how God wins all wars. And we've been given the privilege to, to read and to hear of this vision of what Daniel heard and saw, so that we too might see and hear and know and understand how God wins all wars. As we've seen all throughout Daniel, kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but God's kingdom will endure forever. And now we will know why. And so as we study Daniel's fourth and final vision, it's going to challenge us to think beyond the physical. And it's going to be hard work for us. Like I've been saying, as we study Daniel, it's not spiritual milk, but solid food. It's hard work, but stick with it, because if we understand it, and we understand this this vision in particular, this, which is the longest and the most detailed vision that Daniel was given, that is recorded for us, it's important because it's the climax of all the visions, and not just of all the visions, but the entire book of Daniel. And so stick with it. It's going to be hard work, but it'll be rewarding work. Now, today's passage can be broken up into three main sections, and it follows the chapters. Chapter 1 is about the man. 
the man dressed in linen. Chapter 11 is about the great battle. And chapter 12 is about the resurrection. So let's start in chapter 10 with the man where we'll spend most of our time. Now we're told that before Daniel uh, gets this last vision, he's, he was given a revelation. Something was revealed to him. God revealed some truths about the future to Daniel and it concerned the great war. But Daniel didn't actually understand this revelation. And so chapter 10, verse 1, please follow along with me. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar, um, which basically reminds us that he's still in exile. Uh, it, it, its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. So he's received a revelation and now he is going to receive a vision that will interpret that revelation for him. Uh, verse 2, at that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotion at all until the three weeks were over. <clears throat> now just on this verse 2, I want to make a couple of points. The first is that Daniel wasn't a vegan or vegetarian, as many assume he was, or argue that he was, because of chapter 1, remember? He, he wasn't willing to defile himself by eating meats from the king's table. And so some people might say to you, well, Daniel was a vegetarian or a vegan, and so we should too. That's God's will for you. But that, that, that's, that, that, that's not true. If a Christian or someone says, oh, you should be a vegan or you should be a vegetarian, because Daniel was, that's how you love God most, well, then read this verse with them. He wasn't. He ate meat, and I'm sure he enjoyed it. The second is this. If you're a guy and you use lotion as part of your morning or evening routine, it's absolutely fine. Because Daniel did too, so don't be embarrassed. I'm looking at you, Mike. And welcome back, by the way. But on a more serious note, after three weeks of fasting, while Daniel's out with his entourage by the river of Tigris, a man appears. Out of the blue, a man appears in a vision just like a man appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. It reminds us of that event. So Daniel's out by the river Tigris with his entourage. A man in linen appears. Verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the river, uh, great river Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Now the question is, who is this man? I'm sure you haven't seen anyone who looks like this. Extraordinary, awesome, glorious. And we know that he's not an angel, like Gabriel, who we've met a couple of times in the visions. Uh, we also know that he's not a chief prince, like Michael, who we'll meet in a couple of verses. This man is a glorious man. So awesome in appearance, so majestic in presence, that Daniel is completely overwhelmed by the sight of this man, who appears with immense power, like God. While his entourage flees in terror in verse 7, Daniel basically collapses into a coma and falls dead, as it were, in verse 9. And what happens? 
the man touches Daniel with his hand and Daniel is raised to life. Now, even though this man isn't identified, when we read through the Bible and we read in the Old Testament and we read Ezekiel chapter 1 and we read of Ezekiel's encounter with someone like this, someone so glorious, and then we read in the New Testament and we read all the way to the last book of the Bible, of, of Revelation, of a man that the Apostle John saw, Jesus Christ himself in Revelation chapter 1. And so it's possible as we understand this man in light of all scripture that it is possible that this is the man of Daniel chapter 7. The one like the Son of Man. It's possible to understand that this man is the man of Daniel chapter 8 who will solve the problem of worship. It's also possible to understand this man to be the man of Daniel 9, the anointed one who will come and atone for sin. This man can indeed be the pre-incarnate son of God who appears to Daniel to tell him and explain to him the interpretation of the revelation. And what he's about to tell Daniel is like the President of the United States telling you high-level secrets behind closed doors in his Oval Office. Daniel's going to see and hear and understand what's happening, not just here on earth, but up there in heaven. Daniel's going to learn how wars aren't just fought in the physical realm, but battles are drawn in the spiritual realm as well. Wars are fought, as we'll see, not just in the physical, but in the spiritual as well. And the man begins by telling Daniel, since he prayed three weeks earlier, since the very beginning of his fasting, ever since Daniel sought to understand what this great war is in verse 1, this man wanted to come to Daniel like a paramedic trying to get to a patient on the other side of town, like a soldier parachuting into enemy territory to save and rescue a prisoner of war. But something stops this man from coming to Daniel. It wasn't because the ambulance was caught in bad traffic or soldiers were being ambushed. It was because the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted and detained this man dressed in linen. Have a look at it with me in verse 12. Then he continued. Don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and then to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. That is, he prayed. He needed understanding from this revelation. What's it about God? What is this great war? And the man is saying, I have come in response to them. In response to your prayer, I've come to you to explain it to you but what had stopped him, verse 13, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. How many days is 21 days? Three weeks. Why the delay? Because this man was being resisted by the prince of the Persian kingdom. So you're asking, who is this prince of the Persian kingdom? Well, let me get there. Then Michael, one of the chief princes. And now who's this Michael guy? Lots of questions, right? came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So here you have something happening in the physical and the material realm. And, and the reality is that the material world, we can understand, can't we? 
We can see it, we can touch it, we can capture it on film, we can share it on social media, and we know that, the, for example, the President of the United States is Joe Biden, and the Prime Minister of Australia is Anthony Albanese. And Daniel knew the physical world uh, and the political landscape too. As one of the king's chief advisors, he knew Cyrus was the king of Persia. The Jews were now allowed to return to Jerusalem. But what is this man? Who is this man who tells Daniel all these things? It must have blown his mind just as it does ours. For the man is saying that there's a spiritual counterpart. There's a spiritual counterpart to what happens on earth. Cyrus might be the king of Persia on earth. Cyrus is a physical person, a real king, here on earth, ruling a real empire called Persia. We know that from history. That's the physical realm. But here now we're told by this man that there is a spiritual counterpart. Cyrus might be the physical person, but there is a spiritual counterpart, the prince of the Persian kingdom in the heavenly realms. And somehow or other, in the spiritual realm, you have the man being detained by this prince in the spiritual realm. And detained for 21 days, which stopped him from coming to Daniel. That is, the prince of the Persian kingdom in the heavenly realms had power over the man dressed in linen. And that corresponds to reality, doesn't it? Because at that time, the prince of Persia, Cyrus, had power over God's people. They ruled God's people. That is, what happens in the heavenly realm has real and significant implications in the physical realm. They're both linked. Because when the man was detained up there, he couldn't come to meet Daniel for 21 days. What happens in the spiritual affects what happens in the physical. And it, unless it was for his friend, Michael, who came to his aid, he wouldn't have been freed. And so then you're wondering, who's Michael? It's a great question. Well, we're told he's one of the chief princes in verse 13. Uh, in fact, he's Israel's prince in verse 21. And in chapter 12, verse 1, his job is to protect God's people. And so you, here you have, right, the Persian kingdom with a corresponding prince in the spiritual realm. You have Israel, the people of God, with a corresponding prince who protects God's people, Michael. And even though the prince of the Persian kingdom and therefore Cyrus, the king of Persia, has power over the man and Israel, respectively, it won't last. Because the man tells Daniel, he will fight the prince of Persia and defeat him. And it's going to happen soon in verse 20. Which might surprise us. Because if you were here a couple of weeks ago and you heard from Daniel chapter 8, we know that the he-goat, the goat that, ram, uh, that, that, that fights and attacks the ram, is Greece. And we know from history that this occurs under Alexander the Great. However, what we're now seeing in this passage, we're taken behind the curtain into the Oval Office, as it were, 
and discovered that in fact the prince of Greece didn't lead the charge and defeat the Persians on his own. Who led the charge? Who defeated the Persians with the help of the prince of Greece? It's the man. Verse 20, so he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. You see, just as Persia and Israel have spiritual counterparts, so does Greece. There's a prince of Greece in the spiritual realm. And when the man goes and fights the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece goes with him. What this tells us is that God is the one who controls all of history, including who rules and when they rule. What happens in the heavenly realms has real and significant implications for us here in the physical realm. Which brings to light passages like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, doesn't it? Where the Apostle Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus, and therefore us Christians in the 21st century, Paul says that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, that is the physical but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And when he said that, he wasn't kidding. The battle that rages on is a spiritual battle and what happens in the spiritual realm will affect us here physically. That's why if you want someone to become a Christian, you pray. Because if God's willing and it happens spiritually, then they will become Christians physically. There's more to this world than meets the eye, so we must pray. We must pray. In our day-to-day lives, it's easy to forget and to think how insignificant prayer is, but remember the spiritual realm and the battle that rages on is driven by prayer. Daniel prayed and the man came. The perception that the physical is all there is so untrue. As Christians, we believe in the spiritual, don't we? We must. For God is spirit. And indeed, becoming Christian is a supernatural phenomenon. God's spirit dwells in us. Angels, we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, are ministering spirits to serve us. And so we don't need to fear evil spirits. For James tells us if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Now there's a lot in there, isn't there? It's a new way of looking at the world, but it's looking at the world from God's perspective. He's given us an in. He's given us insight. And he wants us to see and live from his perspective and not just from the physical perspective that we have. Now I'm sure I've lost many of you. Talking about all this spiritual stuff is hard. But don't worry, because if you've lost, and I've lost you, and you didn't understand any of that, then all you need to know is this. The point is very simple. There's a spiritual battle that rages on that has real and significant implications for us in the physical. And prayer matters. 
And the point of this revelation isn't to entice speculation, but to inspire hope. Because even when God's people appear defenseless here on earth, like when they were in captivity by the Babylonians or by the Persians, and they appear to be at the mercy of these physical ruling kings with immense power, the vision says otherwise. No matter how desperate the situation appears, God is so fully in control. Not only can the man tell Daniel what will happen, but what will happen in accordance with God's will is already inscribed in the book of truth before they happen. You see, the man wanted to come to tell Daniel about the future. Verse 40, now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. And the future isn't a possibility that may or may not happen, but it's already on record and it won't be changed. Verse 21, but first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. Now there are, there's basically two future events that this man dressed in linen tells Daniel about the future. And we're going to quickly have a look at it. Chapter, 12, chapter 11 is about the great battle that it will happen in the future. And then chapter 12 about the resurrection that will happen in the distant future. Now when you read through the great battle in chapter 11, you'll notice that there's quite a bit of overlap with Daniel chapter 8. Remember the vision when Daniel saw the ram and the goat? It was about the Persian and Greek empires. And that's what we see in Daniel chapter 11. 200 years of Persian history is summarized and passed over in one verse. Verse 2. The phenomenal conquest of Alexander the Great is similarly passed over. In verse 3, he rules with great power. And verse 4, his kingdom is broken up. He's dead. Just like we saw in Daniel chapter 8, at the height of his power, the great the goat's horn is broken, which represented Alexander the Great. And it's replaced by four other horns, which were his generals. And they divided up his empire into four regions, two of which are now described in greater detail in this chapter. The king of the south, which refers to the Ptolemaic kingdom of Egypt, and the king of the east, which will be the Seleucid empire of Syria and Mesopotamia. Now, why are these two out of those four empires discussed in detail? Why are they singled out? Well, it's because they both concern the people of God. There are two reasons. The first is, it is to do with where the people of God live. Where the people of God live. You see, smack bang in the middle of the kingdom of the self and the kingdom of the east, is Palestine, the promised land, Jerusalem. Right between them, Israel, the people of God, are squeezed between two ruling and powerful kingdoms. And what happens in history is that this land is constantly at war because they're constantly fighting for this piece of land because it's on their border. That's where their borders meet. And so what that means is that at no fault of their own, God's people will be a casualty of war. At no fault of their own, 
innocent lives of God's people will be lost. Property will be destroyed. Life will be hard. God's people will become collateral damage and suffer at no fault of their own, but simply because they live in a broken world. The second is to do with who they are as a people. From verse 21, Daniel's told about the contemptible person. Now we know this contemptible person as the one who deceived himself to power. And so you remember back to Daniel chapter 8, he is Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes. You might remember him as the Hitler of his day. He hated the Jews and all things Jewish. He desecrated the temple of God, persecuted the Jews, which is also foretold again in this vision, verse 31. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will, then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. What this means is that there's no escape for God's people when they live in this world. There's no escape from injustice and suffering. So long as we live in this broken and crooked world, there's no escape from injustice and suffering. And you and I know that, don't we? We become a casualty, wherever we are, of suffering. Whether that's through an accident that you have on the road or some conflict that there is at work. We become a casualty because we live in this world where there will always be suffering and injustice for the people of God and everyone else who lives in this world. But there's also a specific injustice and suffering that the people of God will endure because of who they are. And back then, because they were Jews, they were persecuted. And today, as Christians, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. You see, this vision reminds Daniel and us that sometimes we'll suffer because we're at the wrong, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And sometimes we'll suffer because we're a target of persecution. And if anyone can relate to this message, it's Daniel himself. Remember, he was stripped from his homeland in Jerusalem at no fault of his own. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was a teenager minding his own business when Babylon came and took him away into exile. He did nothing to deserve that. He suffered a great injustice. He was thrown into the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6 as an old man, targeted by his counterparts for his faith in God, even though he was innocent. And so, like Daniel's experience in the 6th century BC, so will the Jews experience under Antiochus Epiphanes in the 2nd century BC. And here now in the 21st century, you and I will suffer because of where we live or who we are in Jesus. We will suffer from injustice and suffering. There's no escape from becoming collateral damage or the target of persecution. And so then the question on Daniel's mind and on our mind is, well, if that's the case, then what hope is there really? If there will always be wars and rumours of wars and the Antiochuses of this world will persecute God's people, then what hope is there really? Should we just give up? I mean, for Daniel to hear this would have crushed his soul. He's still in captivity now as an old man. 
Well, thankfully, Daniel's fourth and final vision doesn't end there. It continues into chapter 12, where we will reach the climax, not just of this vision and all, but of all the visions that Daniel received. The climax of the entire book of Daniel, the resurrection. So chapter 12, verse 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will rise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. We've heard of the great war, but now Daniel is told of a greater deliverance, even from death itself. For at the end of time, when all is said and done, everyone who has ever lived will be raised to life, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is the clearest teaching about the resurrection in the Old Testament. And it's exactly the good news that Daniel needed to hear to help him endure to the very end. You see, Daniel's an old man. In his 80s. And he's experienced his fair share of injustice and suffering. And the man clothed in linen is telling him, Daniel, I'm going to right all wrongs. That Daniel, I'm going to end all suffering. Daniel, I'm going to give you everlasting life. Your name is written in the book of life. You see, friends, the hope for God's people doesn't lie with periodic deliverances, an answer to a small prayer here or there, but with the resurrection, which will happen in the distant future. But even though Daniel won't live long enough to see it fulfilled in his lifetime, and we may not either, he won't miss out and we won't either. For he can be filled with absolute hope, for it is written in the book. And so what must he do? What must we do? Well, he's told twice. But let me read the last verse to you. What must he do? What must we do? As for you, go your way to the end. Go your way till the end. You will rest, that is, you will die. And then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. And so while he looks forward to the hope of the resurrection, he's told to go your way. That is, get on with your life. Live with wisdom in verse 3. Press on with hope in the resurrection. A little while ago, I was watching a documentary about the final years of the Soviet Union and the Cold War. Uh, you might know this guy, Boris Yeltsin. He was, at that time, a newly elected member of the Soviet Parliament. In 1989, he visits the United States Space Center. On the way back to his hotel, he sees a local grocer, a grocery store, 
in Clear Lake, a suburb of Houston. And so he tells his entourage, well, I want to go and have a look in that grocery store. And so they take him there, they park the car, he goes in with his entourage, as Americans are just busily doing their shopping. He goes into the grocery store and he's blown away. He walks down aisle after aisle. He can't believe his eyes. He marvels at the free cheese samples, the fresh fish and produce, the freezers are packed to the brim. It wasn't anything like he's ever seen before. Because back home in Moscow, the grocery stores were bare, with staples such as potatoes and a bit of frozen meat here and there, but not much more than that. And so Yeltsin asked the store workers in this local grocer in Clear Lake Houston, how much does this cost? Do you need special education to manage a supermarket? Are all American stores like this? Even the Politburo doesn't have this choice, not even Mr. Gorbachev, who was the president of the Soviet Union at the time. Two months later, the Berlin Wall collapses. Two years later, Yeltsin becomes president of the Soviet Union, and in that same year, in December 1991, the Soviet Union's dissolved, the Iron Curtain's lifted, and the Cold War comes to an end. Wars are fought and won on multiple levels, from the political to the military, from the economic to the ideological, from the intelligence to the cultural. Some might make it to the tabloids, but most don't. Some of it's obvious, like soldiers firing their machine guns, but so much of it is less obvious, like a future president visiting a local grocer. And who would have thought that Yeltsin's visit to a local grocer in America would be the catalyst to the ending of the Cold War? And who would have thought that the ultimate battle to defeat all enemies, the greatest war that will ever be fought, the war to end all wars, wasn't with swords and spears and a great army of faithful Jews or a host of angelic beings, but one man, the man dressed in linen, the one man dressed in linen who revealed himself to Daniel the prophet. The one man dressed in linen who would give up his glory to become man and hang on a Roman cross to die. Who would have thought that by this man's death, he would disarm the powers and authorities in the heavenly realm, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And who would have thought that by this man, the man dressed in linen, that by this man, on the, on, uh, after he's, he died on the cross, and in his resurrection, he would inaugurate a new era, where the spiritual and the physical realms converge. So that when he returns, he ushers in a new heavens and a new earth, where there will be no distinction between the spiritual and the physical anymore. They will converge, for God will come down and dwell with us and us with him. The spiritual and the physical will converge with the resurrection and the end of times. Revelation 21, 1-4 tells us, then I saw, John the Apostle, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And so, friends, what must we do? What must we do is what must Daniel did in the 6th century. As you look forward to your resurrection and everlasting life, you must go on your way. You must go your way. Despite all the troubles in the world, go your way and persevere for you will rise. Despite all the persecution that is to come, go your way. Persevere, for you will receive your allotted inheritance. And so like Daniel, be wise and press on. Like Daniel, keep praying and persevere. Like Daniel, cling on to the hope that is yours in Christ alone. Go on your way. For kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but God's kingdom will endure forever. Amen.